This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Shasti Conrad is the chair of the Washington State Democrats. It has been quite a while since we checked in with her. So in advance of the November 7th election, as well as the start of the 2024 election season, this is a very good time to get caught up. Hello, Shasti. It's been a minute. How are you, my friend? Hi, Stefan. It's so great to be back. I've missed you. I missed you, too. And it's not like anything has happened during the time that we, uh, right. yeah, the news cycle is accelerating. Well, you know, just speaking of the news, let's just jump right in and talk about uh, Wednesday's election of Representative Mike Johnson of Louisiana to be Speaker of the House. So this is, this is the, the, I believe, the fifth potential speaker after Kevin McCarthy was ousted. Every House Republican voted for him. Notably, 5th CD Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers nominated Johnson. So what should we know about Mike Johnson? Well, that he unfortunately is right in line with the current GOP, which is that he is as extreme as we can get. Um, It's, I mean, been pretty horrifying. I think we've all been... um, you know, pretty shocked by the chaos that has been in D.C. these last several weeks. I've I've seen our congressional delegation. Um, we did a bunch of canvassing this past weekend and, you know, they all were just exhausted from the battle. Um, and I, this guy, Mike Johnson, kind of came out of nowhere. He um, he is an election denier. He is for a um, national abortion ban. He is against LGBT rights. He um, introduced a don't say gay law model um, in his state, and he voted against renewing the Violence Against Women Act. I mean, he's truly like the worst of like of them and supported by Donald Trump. Um, So, you know, I think. It's not great. And it's a reminder for all of us that we just we have got to focus on flipping the house back so that we can get a Speaker Jeffries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely right. Uh, and Speaker Jeffries, actually, I'll say, has been extraordinary through this entire process and has kept the entire Democratic caucus united. I will mention for folks that uh, you mentioned Trump uh, supports uh, Johnson. Uh, Trump refers to him, I believe, as MAGA Mike. So, you know, given everything we know, and, and, you know, in advance of next year's election to flip the House, do you feel that there should be or possibly will be repercussions uh, from some of these so-called uh, GOP moderates in Biden districts for voting for Johnson? I do. I mean, I've actually been really impressed with uh, the DNC and with, you know, how quickly they've just been hitting all of those folks that are like, okay, hello, Republican, you know, so-and-so that's in a Biden plus, you know, 10 district or whatever, like, goodbye, you know, and just like tying all of these folks over and over again with this extremist agenda and the chaos in D.C. and in Congress. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely, I think... um, you know, it's it, this his Mike Johnson's baggage has become these folks baggage because, like you said, they all Republicans voted to support him. I mean, it's just they you know, they they were divided for weeks on a number of other people, including, you know, some folks that were slightly more moderate Republican. And for them to all come, you know, in alignment um, is pretty wild. And so I think we as Democrats have got to just keep keep on this messaging, keep tying these folks to this MAGA extremist agenda um, and just not relent at any point in this next year plus. 
Yep. Yep. That, absolutely right. I mean, this is th- this is a messaging battle, I think. And Kat and I are going to be really focused on that in the 2024 election for sure. So, you know, let's talk now about some of the work that you've been doing uh, for the Washington Democrats since you uh, took over. Um, you've traveled all over the state. I know you've traveled uh, over 3000 miles. You've hit all 10 congressional districts. So, you know, you and I'll talk about specifics in a second. But just generally speaking, what are your priorities for the party right now? Definitely. I mean, yeah, this past year, it was just really important to me. You know, I came out of King County, out of King County Democrats, but I really wanted to make sure that folks knew that I knew that we were running a fully statewide operation and that we have Democrats in every single part of this state and energized, excited Democrats. And so that has been certainly a you know major priority for me of just getting out there. And then, you know, electorally speaking, next year is a really huge election year um, and, and one that is kind of like a once every 20 years because we um, do not have a gubernatorial incumbent. And so that has opened up the statewide races. Um, but, you know, we need to return Senator Maria Cantwell back to the Senate. We need to reelect uh, Kim Schreier and Marie Guzencamp-Perez in CDs eight and three. We need to make sure that we're holding every single statewide office, which we just won for the first time last year. Yeah. Um, and then we need to continue to defend and expand our majorities in the state legislature. Um, and, you know, we're fighting really hard to in 2023 to build up the infrastructure across the state and make sure that we have solid presence and resources going into the deep purple and, and even the deep red parts of our of our state. You know, I've, I really have recognized how important the sort of um, work in rural communities is for the party and the ways in which we didn't always show up in those places, but that there are great opportunities there as well. And so that's certainly a big part of it. And just really trying to make sure that we're continuing to build a blue wall here on the the West Coast and keep Washington as blue as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you've drilled this into my head since I've known you. There's no such thing as an off year election. We are in an odd year election (laughs) and using it as an opportunity to build. Um, I love what you say about uh, energizing, excited Democrats. So, Let's talk real briefly. I definitely want to really unpack 24 with you, but let's talk about this year's election right now. So I know you've been investing a lot of time and resources in advance of the Spokane mayoral race in support of Lisa Brown. Talk to us about why this race is important and about you know some of the work that you're doing there. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, early in my time as state party chair, I asked our data team to look for what were the best opportunities across the state that were like flippable opportunities or like were sort of just those razor edge races. And right away, we identified that the Spokane mayor's race was our best opportunity to flip a seat in 2023. And, um, and then the amazing Lisa Brown, who was the former, um, uh, speaker of the in the state Senate and as an incredible leader who ran for Congress back in 2018, um, she stepped forward to run for mayor. And so, you know, one of the best candidates that we could have had. It's just sort of perfect timing and all of that. You know, the stakes are incredibly high in Spokane. Um, you know, Spokane, the city is a Democratic city, you know, 60% has gone over and over again for Patty Murray, Biden, you know, all of that. Um, but for the past 12 years, it's um, even before that, I believe uh, it's been held by a Republican. Um, 
the stakes were made really clear in August that, you know, when the gray fire was raging um, all around um, Spokane City um, and in sort of Spokane County, um, Nadine Woodward, the current mayor of Spokane, um, got on stage with um, known domestic, I mean, accused domestic terrorist Matt Shea, mm-hmm. um, and they prayed for a cleansing fire to spread across Spokane. And this is why, like, the fires are still raging, you know. Zach Sapone, who is a um, city council member um, in Spokane, like his family home burned down, oh like God. they lost everything, you know. Um, and they're they're on stage, and she's accepting his endorsement, and they're literally praying for a cleansing fire. And so we just can't have that kind of extremism in you know in the halls of power like we just we can't spokane deserves better and so you know we just it's incredibly important we have invested a lot um we for the first time since 2017 we got a um a dnc state party innovation fund grant um to put towards working in the mayoral race already the dnc has um done a hundred thousand texts into spokane encouraging people to vote um for lisa brown we have um just produced a um tv spot that's gonna play during the seahawks game on um november 5th and um the final weekend that calls out nadine woodward and um ties her to Matt Shea and says why we have to support Lisa Brown. So we're doing everything we can. I'm going to go out for election day and be out there with Lisa. Um, And last month we had our state committee meeting out there and encouraged all of our state committee members and whatnot to knock doors, make phone calls and really do the work to help us flip that seat. Outstanding. And man, when I read about what Matt Shea uh, with uh, Mayor Woodward said about the, the fires out there, it just it, it shocks the conscience. How is this race shaping up? Are you optimistic right now? Yeah, we're feeling really good about it. Um, Lisa Brown was ahead in the primary by several points, um, and we're seeing a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. And so we we think that it's um we're, we're feeling, like I said, cautiously optimistic and not only for Lisa Brown, who's running for mayor, but we have four incredible city council um, candidates that are also running so that we can have a progressive more majority that will help Lisa be able to get done the things that she wants to get done. And they're incredible. And we're feeling really great about those races as well. Yeah. And as you mentioned, it's a blue city. And so the government should reflect that. Um, you you were talking uh, just a moment ago about some of the, the voter ID work and, and, and other things you're doing in rural areas, specifically, I believe, in Chelan and Douglas counties. Um, we have a number of folks listening for there. So say a little bit more about the importance of focusing on these districts. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's become really clear that the way in which we grow the Democratic Party, particularly in Washington state, but I do think we're a model for the rest of the country, is that it runs directly through these more rural areas. Um, It's incredibly important that we understand and are reflective of rural values, of rural voters. Um, And I think that, like, you know, our uh, messaging has sometimes left some to be desired. I think that over the last several years, we've heard from, um, you know, a lot of our rural folks that they just have felt like the party didn't understand their life experiences and wasn't showing up for them. And so we've made it really clear that like, it's got to be represented in our platform and our messaging and in our campaigning. Um, you know, one sort of internal party thing that I did early on is, um, with our delegate selection, affirmative action plan, I made it so that all of the legislative districts have the 
start out at the equal number of delegates, um, and that will influence our platform. Um, and that was in part because of all of the conversations that I'd had with rural, um, with our rural members across the state who felt like, just felt like they'd been left out. And, and I wanted to make sure that they, rec- that we, we demonstrated that we wanted their voices centered to, um, to our work and to our platform. And then, you know, we have identified for priority districts, you know, next year, most of them have major rural populations. It's LD10, which is um, Camino Island, um, Woodby Island area, LD17 and 18, which are in um, CD3 and are sort of in like outside of the Vancouver area. Um, LD14, which I think we might talk about a little bit later, but LD14 is in the Yakima area. And mm-hmm. because of the court case related to redistricting and empowering um, the Latino community in central Washington, we think that LD14 is in play Um, and that it will be that's a huge opportunity for us um, to really pick up a very rural area that we that is mostly a Latino population and then in 26 which is um, the Gig Harbor area and 24 which is out in Squim like these are our priorities that we're really focused on and we want to make sure that our messaging um, and showing up and doing the work is representative of um, you know our, our rural voters in those places. It's so great that you're looking at the entire field um, for many reasons, not least of which is there's a ton that we can and have learned from folks in these districts, but also it's tough being out there. And I, I think, you know, giving the support uh, where it's needed, I, I, I think is, is just so very important. And as you say, always building, always building in these districts. And so uh, I also want to talk about LD42 in Bellingham. I know this is something else you're focused on. The district has been flipped blue. We've got Sharon Shoemake uh, as senator, uh, Representative Alicia Rule, Representative Joe Timmons. You're going to be focused on defending it in 24. So what needs to happen here? What are some of the actions? Yes, absolutely. So um, I was actually just up in that area last weekend. We were doing door Bellingham. And um, ah, I was cute. really, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was really, really um, impressed. There were like, it was a Saturday morning and I would say like 70 people showed up to Canvas and we had, um, you know, Lord Speaker of the House, Lori Jenkins was up there. Um, a number of other sort of House members and state Senate senators were up there to demonstrate that, you know, this work matters even now and this year that as we're building for next year, we've got to do everything we can to retain the members that we have up there. Um, you know, we, um, we've been really impressed. The Whatcom County Democrats have a very robust year round organizing program. Um, one of the best in the entire state where they have, um, they've been able to raise funds to be able to hire their own sort of year round field organizers that are in the community. Um, and you can see the difference, you know, I mean, really like turning out 70 people, you know, that, that takes a focus and that takes resources to be able to do that. And, you know, it really does, it does matter that we have that support. So, you know, we, um, helped with providing a grant to them to help with that year round organizing program to make sure that we are building enthusiasm this year that will lead into next year. Um, you know, and then the other big thing that we recognize that, you know, is true for many places around the state, but in Bellingham is that in order to win in Bellingham, when it requires the youth vote, you know, there's, um, colleges um in in that district and it it matters that we're showing up it matters matters that we are on campus that we are registering voters that we are talking about the importance of voting um and so you know we're working um on a couple of different ideas for greater voter um youth voter engagement um that we'll be rolling out very soon but that's you know bellingham is a key place that we're like we're watching how they're doing things and, and learning from them and trying to bring those across the state as well 
I'm so happy to hear you say uh, what you're saying about the youth vote, because it's going to be so crucial uh, in 2024 and this year as well, but especially in 2024. And we've been hearing uh, a lot of stories about, you know, disaffection uh, among, you know, Gen Z voters. And uh, it's it's good to know that we're keeping our eye on the ball there. So just sort of rounding out our discussion about 23, the this year's race, um, we've talked about the Spokane mayoral race. What other races are you focused on this year? Yeah, so in um, that sort of initial analysis, we picked up on the fact that Yakima and Sunnyside City Councils in central Washington were really incredible opportunities for us. Um, they have high Latino populations, which means we do have opportunities to gain there. Um, Sunnyside's one of my favorite stories to tell because when we were looking at the data, we found that the Sunnyside City Council, the three incumbents that are up had all won by less than 100 votes each mm. when they had won pre- previously. One of them had only won by one vote. Wow. Um, and none of them were rep- none of them were Latino. None of them were fully like we feel representative of like a I think it's like 70 percent Latino population in Sunnyside. And so we we helped with recruiting candidates. We have great candidates that are running um, and we've um, been working with a number of our sort of um, C4 political partners, groups like um, Washington Conservation Action, Fuse, Common Power to really help with the organizing and the support out there. And we're feeling really excited. In fact, um, I'm heading out tonight to go to Yakima for our rural summit, um, which we're really excited about. And we're bringing people from across the state, specifically to Yakima because of the fact that we have these key races and we really wanted to learn, but it also really helped those folks while they're running right now. Um, and then, you know, we're also looking at because of, um, you know, the importance of CD3 in the Vancouver area for next year, um, we've been looking at Southwest Washington. Um, there's some important port commission and school board races down there that are going to be absolutely critical. And we're, you know, really rubbing our democratic motors to do everything we can um, to make sure that as we're keeping our volunteer base um, excited and energized so that they'll be ready for next year as well. Um, And then, you know, we're doing everything we can to help, um, you know, across the state, but really in these key places that um, are fighting back against some really pretty bad extremists um, and making sure that we're, you know, we're building the resources there that will help us for years to come. Well, you know, speaking of bad extremists, we've been devoting a ton of coverage here on the show to the school board races this year. Uh, we know that groups like Moms for Liberty uh, are making a coordinated effort to infiltrate our school boards. So, you know, talk about how you see the importance of school board races in this year's election. Well, absolutely. You know, I've I've said the last couple of years and it's you know more true now than ever, which is that, you know, school board members um truly are the, on the front lines of democracy. Um, we're seeing this, you know, sort of MAGA extremist fight and these culture wars that the GOP is waging. And, you know, it's, it's deeply impacting our students and our, you know, um, and our families, right? It's like, this is a whole sort of assault on families that are trying to raise their kids to be able to read what they want to read, have the healthcare that, you know, that they need, all of that. I mean, it's just, it's really wild, um, to see it. And so it's incredibly important. And I think also, you know, like school boards are one of our most like local forms of government. Um, It is a great way for people to be able to have um, curriculums that match the needs of those particular communities, children and crafting administrative policy that um, can really be make or break for like our next generation of how they see the world. And, um, you know, it's really important also for fostering an understanding of basic civics, right? Just like people understanding how government works, how they can get engaged, all of that 
that that happens at schools. And so these school board races are just incredibly important and it teaches and makes our kids participants in democracy. And that's why they are under attack. You know, the GOP knows exactly what they're up against because they look at the same data that we see, which says that the GOP should be worried about their numbers in the ways in which the next generation is viewing the world. It's much more inclusive, much more open. And so that is why school boards are under attack. So we have to do everything we can um, to make sure that we're keeping a spotlight on those school board races. One thing is I know, you know, Moms for Liberty group is it's, they are, it is a form of terrorism. I mean, like, truly, they have attacked so many of these school boards um, and communities and whatnot, gone after children. And um, But I did go to a presentation by NEA that said that they only win about 20% of their races, which is actually a pretty abysmal number, considering that they tend to run um, in places where they should win. So I just like to remind people that these groups are very loud, but they're bad at winning. And we have to remember that, like, we know as long as we're doing the work, we're organizing, we're getting people out to vote, we're, we do the work, we will win. We will beat them at their game. But um, they're just it's that sense of how loud and how much space that they take up that is it is very terrifying. That's really encouraging. 20 percent, you say, um, you know, I, I think they, they do give an outsized uh, impression of, you know, uh, their numbers and, and certainly their impact. And it, that in no way should incentivize anybody to take their foot off the gas at this point. Right. But only to give you uh, a little bit of perspective on that. And, and I think that's that's actually uh, quite good news. Um, let's shift over and talk about the 24 elections. So let's start with the governor's race. It is a high profile race besides, uh, you know, uh, Senator Cantwell. This is probably the, the premier race in the state. Three Democrats currently running uh, Attorney General Bob Ferguson, State Senator uh, Mark Mullet, Public Lands Commissioner Hillary Franz. Also in the race is former 8CD Representative Republican Dave Reichert. I'll just ask you generally, what, what are your thoughts on the race at this point? I mean, you know, I do think that it's an exciting time, right? It's an opportunity for, you know, new folks to be getting involved as they get excited about their candidates. And we're lucky because, you know, our our crop of candidates are all pretty great. Um, and, you know, the governor's race in Washington often come is it's closer than folks expect. You know, when you see us on a map and we look all blue, the, the last times that we've had, um, you know, open gubernatorial races, they've come down. I mean, you all remember the Christine Gregoire you know, race. I mean, they come down to sometimes a couple thousand votes. Yeah. So, you know, we take all of this very seriously. Um, I don't feel like the Republicans are giving us their best at this point. Um, Dave Riker, you all are very <laughs> familiar with, not the hardest worker. Um, but I do think that he, um, you know, he's someone that we do have to take seriously because I do think that, you know, people with name recognition, sure. um, it's very clear that the GOP is still running on a very like sort of crime and public safety messaging and, Get ready, folks, because you're going to hear about the Green River Killer um, a lot in the next <laughs> year. Um, but, I, you know, I feel really great about our candidates, and I'm excited about the fact that we've got this kind of energy heading into 2024. And, um, you know, we are we're watching like everybody else and hoping that we've got a clear Democratic front runner very soon. The, uh, the Dems are going to be running what's called a coordinated campaign in 24. Just tell us briefly what that is and what it means. Yes. So the coordinated campaign is um, 
It, it is sort of what it sounds like, which is like it's a unique function of um, the party to be able to run slates of coordinating candidates in any district where there are three or more Democrats. And it is the premier Democratic turnout operation in the state. And in fact, I think our coordinated is one of the best in the entire country. Um the coordinated is it's going to be our best opportunity to pick up seats. So it's really important that we have strong data um, and we're partnering where we can to ensure that we have strong data to run our turnout operation, which is um, the most that we're able to run by um, by law. So we are no persuasion, but we're all turnout and we do um, we have some of the best data we were able to tell that um, Marie Guzenkamp Perez was going to win, that Senator Patty Murray were going to win um, before other pollsters um, last cycle. And so that's the coordinated really is the field operation for our congressional delegation, for our statewide candidates, and for the state ledge candidates as well. Um, and our number one priority will be returning Senator Marie Cantwell back to the Senate. Um, and then, you know, we talked about some of those um, flippable seats that we're Look at having we have an eye on already, and those will be a part of the coordinated as well. Well, let's talk about a couple of those. I want to start with the third. I think everybody's eyes are going to be on Mariko and Camp Perez uh, retaining her seat um, down there. Uh, Cooks is calling this a toss-up. They actually had it as lean Republican in 2022 when she upset Joe Kent, who I should mention is going to be running again. What do you think Lewis and Camp Perez needs to do to win this time around? You know, I mean, I really think she, you know, built the playbook, you know, with with, you know, your support, with our support. Um, uh, but she really built the playbook on, you know, how Democrats can win in districts like this. I mean, she really was probably the n- n- number one upset in the entire country last year. I believe so I that. She, yeah. A lot of people said yeah. she was the number one. Yeah. The number one. And so, you know, I think that she's got to continue to to be her own authentic self be true to herself, but she's got to make sure also that she's fully representing the people of the third congressional district. Um, and, you know, I think it, the fact that it's a rematch between her and Joe Kent, um, it's bad for America, but good for us because he is such an extremist. Um, and, you know, the state GOP broke their own rules at their, con- um, at their convention just back in August to endorse him again. So, um, they did an early endorsement for Joe Kent, um, which again, I think just shows that they are still very much tied to the sort of MAGA extremist end of the party. Um, and, uh, you know, we are going to do everything we can. She is our number one priority. And, you know, we, um, we're open to do everything we can to get folks energized again to support her and send her back to Congress. You know, something I want to bring up with you, because you mentioned uh, the, the fact that, that she needs to be fully representing everybody in the district. And we're hearing from some indivisible groups uh, in the third that her campaign is actively trying to distance itself from progressive groups down there. As we know, these groups do voter registration, they do GOTV, they do deep canvassing. And, you know, I think it's clear that it's made the difference in a lot of close races and likely uh, played a role in helping Glusen Camp Press get across the finish line herself in 2020. So let's ask you, what are your thoughts on all that? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think the only distance is a geographical one in that she, um, you know, has had to spend time in Washington, D.C., um, you know, and had to travel back and forth. And, you know, she's she's a working mom doing all of this work. But, you know, I have seen her travel all across that district. She's held more town halls um, than like Jamie Herrera Butler ever did. Um, I've seen her. I've been down to that area um, three or four times this year. I've seen her at, you know, all of the Democratic Party um, events that I've been to, she's been at. So, you know, I really think she's, you know, she is, she is doing the things and making herself available to um, the folks of her, of her district. Um, and, you know, look, an odd year for, it's her first time in Congress, odd years, you know, she's had to spend a lot of time um, doing the sort of policy work and making sure that she was, um you know, doing everything she needed to back in D.C., I think we're going to see her, you know, very much um, out in the field and and working closely with these groups in 2024. And, you know, everyone really truly does have a role in in helping to get our folks across the finish line. And I I do think that energy is going to return. um, And we're already starting to see that around these local elections this year. We should also talk about uh, Dr. Kim Schreier in my district, the 8th. This is expected to be competitive, but, you know, for the first time, uh, Cooks is rating the 8th as likely Democrat. I believe that is the first time since the creation of the 8th CD. This is a big shift. So I just ask you, how has the challenge then of keeping Schreier in this seat changed in your mind over the last three cycles? Definitely. I mean, and I think in large part because of all of your work, you know, um, I think that it has made a district that is, you know, the lines were drawn so that it was 51% Republican, um, make that a Democratic held district. Um, you know, I remember I was with her, um, on election night in 2022 and she said, you know, from stage, like, this is the first time I've ever been up on election night. You know, most of her races have been these like real squeakers where, you know, sometimes it's been days out before we know that she's up and she's going to win. Um, you all know what it was like back in 18, like how, how, um, you know, dramatic (laughs) it was to be waiting for all of those votes to get counted. Um, and I do think that, you know, she has, she has done the work to deliver for the district. Um, and I think she, she also has had to, um, you know, walk that tightrope of being in a very, um, part, you know, bipartisan district, right. Um, and having to balance, um, you know, being someone that Republicans are willing to vote for alongside um, all of our Democratic folks. And I think she's done a very good job of that. You know, I, I remember her ad from last cycle where she had the Republican mayor and the Democratic mayor both saying why they supported her. And, you know, I think she's figured out how to do that. And, um, you know, that district has moved in large part because she has been a great representative. For, for yeah, I agree with that. And it's it's just been a, a remarkable transformation uh, and, and very uh, interesting to watch and, and ultimately for all of us indivisibles here to be a part of. Um, and so much more to come, obviously, on the 24 election. You and I will be talking, I think, uh, probably more than you're even comfortable with, Shasti. <laughs> but, you know, I, people are really nervous about 24. Um, and I think a lot of people are primarily uh, they're, they're wondering where they should be investing their time and their money and their energy, especially given that, you know, our state is all but guaranteed to go Democrat in the presidential election. So where would you like to see people focusing their efforts next year? 
Definitely. I mean, you know, I think that Democrats in Washington, like we really have done the work and been able to enjoy about 20 years of sustained, you know, power um, where we have been in the majority. You know, we've had Democratic governors for 20 years. Um, and so we've just got to keep strengthening the Democratic brand, building power, growing um, our di- diversity in our organizations from top to bar- bottom and building new programs that meet the needs of, you know, modern organizing, right? I mean, I think um, we are looking at the ways in which, you know, we do traditional canvassing, but also looking at ways that we engage more with youth um, through digital organizing, through relational organizing, um, and really building um, out sort of a, a way in which we're reaching those those folks who would make up parts of our base, but haven't always felt like they were a part of our work, right? Or that we were actually engaging directly with them. We talked about rural voters previously. I think that's true with youth. I think that's true with a number of communities of color that we haven't always done the work and been in those spaces. And so I think, you know, look, I'm I'm always going to talk about organizing because I just sure. at my heart believe that it's so important that um, that's how we win. You know, we just can't take any of that ever for granted. Um, and, you know, when folks sort of say, OK, we've got to take back the House. Um, we need to focus on these national races. We've got a presidential election year. Um, why care about Washington? And I always remind people, like, we're five seats um, in the House of taking back the, the House in, in, in Congress. Um, two of those frontline seats run through Washington, and that is the third and the eighth. So we are a massive part of making a difference on the national landscape and everything that we can do to make sure that we return Kim Schreier and Marie Glusenkamp Perez does make a difference on the national landscape. Um, you know, it's I also find it just as wild that we are looking at a potential Biden versus Donald Trump rematch in 2024. I, I don't know how we are here, but we are here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are going to have to do everything we can. I think we're absolutely still going to win, but we know that with Donald Trump on a ballot, it tur- it turns up the worst in people. And so we are going to have to stay focused, um, stay clear, clear out the noise and just really do the organizing work to make sure that we are returning, you know, Biden to the White House, returning our folks back to Congress and whatnot. And then locally, we have to just keep building on, you know, our um, majorities in the state legislature so that we can get even more progressive policy, you know, across the line. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, on all of that, really. And, you know, I know that you work very closely with uh, other state Democratic Party uh, chairs across the country. Do you anticipate our state helping out uh, in any formal way with swing states like uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, others? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that we have a responsibility to be supportive um, of those swing states. And it is, you know, when you look at the electoral college map, I mean, it really, the, it's going to come down to about six states where, you know, it really will make the difference. Um, and, you know, you mentioned some of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, you know, North Carolina, Arizona, Georgia, you know, these are places where it, it is going to be very close. So, you know, look, I, I always am going to, you know, I'm the, I'm the head of the Washington state Democrats. I'm always going to say we have to do everything we can to guard our castle back here in Washington. But I think it's incredibly important because we know what it's like when we don't have the leadership and we know what happens at the Supreme Court. We know, we, you know, we know all the ways in which it becomes a disaster when we don't have power held at the national federal level. So 
we will do that. And I do believe that, you know, we can be the difference maker on the national stage. We just have to keep fighting like hell for every single election. (laughs) Um, I know it's exhausting, but we just have to keep doing the work. Yeah. And, you know, I I think a lot of people have taken the time that they have needed to recharge and people are going to uh, the people that we know are going to be energized for 2024. And I think a lot of people who have been in the sidelines, um, you know, you mentioned Donald Trump, uh, you know, really emerging back on the scene and into people's consciousnesses. I think that's going to get a lot of people off the sideline and into this fight. Um, There's obviously, as I say, so much more to discuss, but uh, and we've covered a lot of ground here today. But I'll just ask you, what are your final thoughts? You know, I would be remiss to not mention that we are in an election right now and that ballots are, you know, in your mailboxes, on your kitchen table, in the pile of mail. You know, make sure that you're getting those ballots in. Um, election day is November 7th. So take it to a drop box, put it in the mail. You don't need postage. We got to get that done no matter what. And then, you know, look, if you can pitch in some hours or dollars or both um, towards helping to um, keep Washington blue. And, and help us. We really would appreciate that. You can um, support us and find out some ways to get involved at uh, wa-democrats.org. Um, and, um, you know, I'm just so proud to be this state's Democratic Party chair. I would take our issues in Washington every day of the week over other states. And I'm just I'm so proud to be in this, you know, battle with everybody and doing this work. And it just it's so great and so great to be back here with you, Stefan. Thank you. It's so good to see you too, my friend, and great to uh, to have you in the chair. And uh, to be continued, Shasti Conrad, thank you so much. Thank you. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stefan Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.